Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Betting, a Sports Garden Network production. We are your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports intelligence. And now, here's your host, Tom Barton. All right, guys. Tom Barton here, Sports Garden Network. We are entering college basketball season, and I have a special guest on with us today. But you know basketball season is here, and when basketball season comes up, I start getting involved. I love the college game more than anybody. You guys know that we love the college game. And my buddy, we've had him on the show before. Clayton Trudeau wrote a great book, Boston Ball, Rick Pitino, Jim Calhoun, Gary Williams, and the Forgotten Cradle of Basketball Coaches. I have him joining me now. How you doing today, Clayton? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I, I got this book and I said, oh boy, this is good. This is going to be fun. Because, you know, one of the things that the, the book alludes to, if, if not outright basically says, is uh, don't think that Boston's all about uh, Larry Bird and, and you know, a red hour back. And it's not all Celtic love, right? I mean, this was more than a, a Celtic love town. And the town really does embrace basketball and college basketball at that. Without question, in the shadow of the Celtics during the 1980s, there's this whole other phenomenon going on in the college game with Rick Pitino having his first job at Boston University, Jim Calhoun having his first job at Northeastern, and Gary Williams early in his career at BC. All three of these teams develop a national profile, get to the NCAA tournament, and in many ways uh, are the starting point for all three of these Hall of Fame careers. And these teams all eventually develop local support as a result. Yeah, you know, it is funny when um, you talk about Boston, and it's that hard-nosed town, that tough town, uh, most people obviously associated to the Red Sox, but then there's the Celtics. I went to school there. Uh, we talked about it, and anybody that, that knows the Boston area knows it was a basketball town. I mean, it really was for a long time, and, and it really kind of is. I know that y- you mentioned how kind of the coaches took the, the city mentality or did the city mentality take the coaches? You know, it's funny how that does happen in sports. Talk to me about how these coaches, the, the specifically these three, took that tough, hardworking mentality into their coaching game. Well, in many ways, what they were doing seemed old and new at the same time. College basketball in the 1970s had become a very big man-dominated sport with, of course, Kareem and Walton and Artis Gilmore and Bob Lanier and all these guys, these seven-footers. The kind of schools they were coaching, I could not recruit these kind of players. These are programs just trying to get scraps off the the bigger programs in many respects, trying to develop their own profile. So all of these coaches developed a very trapping, pressing, uh, fast-breaking style of basketball, which in many ways was the style of basketball that had begun in the Northeast decades earlier, back to City College, back to back to Holy Cross in the in the fifties, back back to Red Holston, all that style of basketball, Red Auerbach. Um, you see it becoming anew again in Boston in the nineteen eighties with all of these college coaches who are embracing a much faster, smaller man kind of game than it had been being, than had been played throughout much of this time period previously. Um, so they all embraced what Pete Axel and the writer called the city game, which is this kind of blacktop style of basketball, a very, very aggressive style of play, which had really not been seen in much of the 70s in college basketball. Uh, you know, I love that you mentioned 
that. And we're on the phone, guys, with Clayton Trudeau. Go check out the new book. Um, and it's Boston Ball. Look, you mentioned the blacktop, and you mentioned the style of play. You allude to New York City a few times in here, even if you don't outright say, you know, St. John's was a huge, you, you mentioned that St. John's was a big win uh, for Boston College, and you, you allude to uh, some guys that were on the Knicks early in the book. And I, I always look at the scope of basketball, and I go, man, New York really had that flavor early on, and they sort of lost it along the way. Uh, they lost that blacktop feel. They lost that uh, top recruiting feel along the way. Is this the time where they kind of started to lose grip of it and it started to sort of move upwards and move into the Boston area? I sort of think that began to happen in the 1950s when you have Frank McGuire going down to North Carolina after the uh, point shaving scandal, all that stuff happening, that the, the, the New York starts to lose a little bit of its luster. There's also kind of the, kind of the division between the schools that are NIT-oriented schools and NCAA tournament-oriented schools. It really is the 1980s when the Northeast begins to get its grip on college basketball again. Not not necessarily just New York, but certainly Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. In 1984, when Georgetown wins the national title, they're the first team from the Northeast to win the NCAA tournament since LaSalle in 1954. So in many ways, you start to see a return to the Northeast being a centerpiece of college basketball. Even though you look at those great North Carolina teams in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and from a lot of the other ACC schools, and they record, recruited all kinds of New York City kids. Those kids staying home is really a product, not only of what's happening in Boston, but more generally with the Big East and some of the other mid-major conferences that developed in the region out of the old amorphous ECAC, which was the governing body in the Northeast for many decades. Now, I don't want to make it out to be um, that we as a society can't handle winning, but we sort of can't, right? Uh, as somebody starts to win, and you start to sort of bring them down. Um, it's just a natural phenomenon. Patino, Calhoun, Williams all have something associated with their name that it, it's obviously winning, but they kind of get labeled just because of the winning as bad guys. I mean, Nick Saban is there now. You, you sort of have that. I thought it was really interesting what you were talking about, about the Toro Brown and the eulogy. Um, and it gave us, gave me, and it gives the little readers a different side of these guys, a, I guess a personality that look, you know, the winning doesn't make them bad guys. And as a matter of fact, they're coaches first. Tell me about that story and how they really are, are generally good, good guys at heart, even though that the winning kind of overshadows that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you talk to players from any of these three teams in this era, these guys are still willing to run through a brick wall on behalf of these coaches. I think in particular, Patino's personality comes off a little, little bit differently in this book than it does in, in other renderings of him. He's a very passionate, enthusiastic young coach, but he, he very much developed these deep bonds with his players. I think in part it's because of just how intense their practice and play was that they, they just developed a bond around these these uniquely difficult experiences they had together. Uh, and I think that's the case to a little bit lesser extent with the other two coaches in their programs too. In the case of Arturo Brown, Arturo Brown was a great um, NBA prospect at Boston University in the early 1980s who had a heart attack during a pickup game before the season. Um, later that year, BU ends up getting to their first NCAA tournament in a quarter century. Patino and that team grew incredibly close around the morning of um, Arturo Brown, who was in many ways the team's leader and best player. And you really see the heart of Patino in, in that story and, and, and the way he, he brought those guys together and also offered support to Brown's family in the aftermath, something he did 
very quietly and was not widely discussed. You know, I live, um, I could see Connecticut from five minutes out my door. Okay. I could see Connecticut. I obviously went to school in Boston. I lived in North Carolina and now uh, obviously I I'm in New York and Patino's here. So I have a unique kind of connection to these three guys. And if you ask which division of my friends, <laughs> who is the best, you'll get three different answers. Um, was there a, a rivalry forever with them after they left Boston? Obviously in Boston, you want to get the back page. But after they left Boston, was there a rivalry? Were there a, was there a friendship? Was there just a mutual respect? What was their relationship like in Boston? And then as they went their separate ways? Well, Gary Williams was a little bit separate from the other two because BC was in the Big East. The really hardcore rivalry was between BU and Northeastern. And there's certainly, in, back in the day, in this time period, there was a degree of hostility between Calhoun and Patino. Part of it's just they were competing in the same conference, the ECAC North, which is now America East. Back in the 70s, it was a much, uh, back in the 70s, early 80s, it was a much stronger league coming out of that old ECAC. But I, I think that hostility dissipated over time even though they once again were in the Big East together in the age of when Patino was at Providence and Calhoun was just starting out at UConn. Um, I, I think there was a degree of hostility between those two, but certainly respect throughout. Um, sense that this is also an elite coach and we're competing for the top of this league against this other uh, great coach. Uh, I don't think either of them ever had any kind of animosity towards, uh, towards Gary Williams. I think they had nothing but respect towards him. I think there was a degree of them striving to become what BC did. In the early 80s, the BC program got to the Sweet 16 four out of five years. They, they won two Big East regular season titles. They got to the Elite Eight one time. I mean, they're one of the, I think, most underrated programs in the history of college basketball, particularly in that time period for how much success they had. So I think there was a shared respect among all of these coaches, even though there was a definite rivalry between Patino and Calhoun. We're on the phone with Clayton Truder, Boston Ball, Rick Pitino, Jim Calhoun, Gary Williams, and the Forgotten Cradle of Basketball Coaches. Uh, Clayton, where can we get this book? It's available at all the usual suspects online, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all those people. But if you want to save 40% off the cover price, you can go to bit.ly slash Boston Ball, B-I-T period L-Y slash Boston Ball, all one word, and use the promo code 6AF23, and that will save you 40% off the cover price. 6AF23 at bit.ly slash Boston Ball. And if you guys are in your car and you're going, oh, man, I didn't write that down, I, I, I'm not sure. Just uh, you could always go to Twitter or the X, right? At Clayton Truder, T-R-U-T-O-R. And he's got the uh, promo code up there as well. I'm, I'm reading it right now. Uh, Clayton, before we, we uh, kind of get into, I guess I want to ask you a couple questions about the future. I'm going to ask you the hard question in the middle of the interview. Hard question in the middle of the interview is... <laughs> Who was the best out of the three? Not not overall their career, just in Boston. Who's the oh the, the answer is the same for both of them? Jim Calhoun. Jim Calhoun took over a Northeastern program that was just transitioning to D one when he when he got the job was two weeks before the start of the nineteen seventy two seventy three season. He was a high school teacher. He got the job because two other guys very in rapid succession had to resign from the position for different reasons I go into in the book. Calhoun comes in, builds up a program that's not even really a D1 program completely when he gets there. He ends up bringing Northeastern to five NCAA tournaments in six years. He goes on to UConn. He wins all the championships there. 
UConn had a strong program in the 50s and 60s, but were in no way a perennial national power. Um, he turns them into one of the great national programs, really through the force of his will and efforts. I think Jim Calhoun is the second greatest college basketball coach of all time behind John Wooden. Because if you look at all of the other contenders, they're walking into what, for, for that crown. They're walking into what are essentially blue blood programs already. Calhoun's walking into a program that was good in the Northeast, but in no way a national name and makes them one of the great pro- national programs in college basketball. So I think both for his remarkable success in Boston, turning that Northeastern team into one of the first true mid-major juggernauts, and then for what he did at UConn, I, th- I think, to, in my mind, Calhoun is clearly the most successful of the three coaches. You just made everybody down at Duke angry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not putting Coach K up there. Uh, let, let's let's transition into nowadays, okay? Uh, we, we see that Connecticut has been able to kind of get their footing back, and after a little bit of a lull, they did win a national championship. He get left the program in, in a great spot. We are still not sure about what Gary Williams left in his wake, and Rick Pitino now is kind of taking on a St. John's team that suddenly we're talking about and saying, yeah, you know what? They might be a contender. Is this a spot where, again, you just named Calhoun. Did he leave his organizations, his his schools in a better shape than the other two? Or was it merely, hey, kind of a coincidence? I think that's tough to say. I think he probably did leave his school in in a better position simply from having been there for 30 years or whatever it was. There was just such continuity in that program. So many people who had developed off his coaching tree who were already successful coaches, people who'd gone on to the NBA. The UConn brand was so well established by him, as opposed to Patino, who's you know jumping around to a lot of places during his career. Um, I think Gary Williams also a little bit different, too. I mean, he wins the one national title. His level of success isn't quite what Calhoun achieved at, uh, at UConn. And, and also his recruiting footprint is a little bit different, too. Gary Williams recruited almost entirely from D.C., Maryland, Virginia. It was very much a local operation there. In terms of competing nationally, I think for his successors, it may have proved a little more difficult with with the school's, um, I guess, history of recruiting. Um, Calhoun had developed very much a national profile for for UConn, and and his successors have benefited from that, even though there was that down period, particularly when UConn had that that odd um, lost weekend in the AAC. Um, I'm so glad to see them back in in the Big East and things getting back to normal in my mind. Yeah, it really is. Uh, what about Patino? I mean, I, I think he's such an intriguing story because he comes into St. John's. It's a tough spot. He's He's been bouncing around all over the place. What do you see for Patino moving forward? Man, I, I mean, there's no way they were going to be fifth in the preseason poll, you know, before before uh, Patino got that job. I mean, I, I think they certainly have a chance of competing in that conference. There's so much depth in that league there this year, though, with like Connecticut, the defending national champion is what three in the conference preseason poll. <laughs> you've got a great Creighton team. You've got Marquette, I believe, has eight of their top nine scorers returning. Um, Georgetown's probably going to be better. Seton Hall is going to be better. Um, it, it's just it, it's just such a deep league. I, I, I don't know what to think of it, but I fully expect Patino's team to be in there in March. I mean, he's been able to recruit such a haul of uh, great players there, and he certainly anywhere he goes, he coaches his team up. So. I have no uh, no doubt that that team will be very competitive under uh, Rick Pitino. Yeah, it, it is um, the underrated league. I've been talking about it for two years. Uh, the, the conference is just dynamic when you start to kind of peel back the layers, and everyone's still looking at the ACC. I think the ACC is down a little bit. This is the conference to sort of stare at and take, take a good glimpse at 
and, and really go, uh, whoa, this, this could be fun. This could be a lot of fun. And I think people are starting to kind of wake up to it. Um, Clayton, we're on the phone, Clayton Schroeder, Boston Ball. Uh, Clayton, tell us the promo code again, where we can get the book. Sure. If you head to bit.ly slash Boston Ball, B-I-T period L-Y slash Boston Ball, all one word, and use promo code 6AF23, you can get 40% off the cover price. You can also get the book at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and all the other usual usual online book retailers. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. I got to tell you, man, this is this is a good book. I told Clayton before time, I got it. I'm, I'm just about finished with it, and I couldn't put it down. I tried to get to it last night. Uh, my kids needed me, and I'm, I'm going to end the interview. I'm going, to, I'm going to finish up the book in a little while. It is fantastic. Go check it out. Even if you're not a fan of Boston um, or the, the Boston kind of idea, look, it's just a book about three great coaches and what they did, and this is a fantastic sports book. Thank you so much for all your time, Clayton. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. I got to check it out. Go check out sportsgarden.com. G-A-R-T-E-N. Hashtag S-G-N. Have a very good week, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.